The following message, entitled, We Are the Fools, was given by Stephen Altrogi on the 26th of June, 2011, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Good morning, everyone. If I haven't met you, my name's Stephen, one of the pastors here. Hey, Jeff. Well, I have the privilege of preaching this last Sunday here. I know my dad would have loved to have preached, but as I'm sure most of you know, my grandpa is in the hospital right now. I believe he's coming home, uh, is it today or tomorrow? Maybe tomorrow. So if you could just keep praying for him, he's doing well. Um, But my dad's been down there the whole week in Pittsburgh, so I get to preach. So here we are, and it's the last Sunday, and it's kind of exciting, isn't it? It's an exciting day. I feel like sort of surreal. Like, is this really happening? Are we really not going to be here next week? Because we've been here for 20 years now. I can just barely remember when we first moved into this building. And we're getting ready to move into this new building. And I got to admit, it's just exciting because we have this, at least to me it seems like, we have this really cool new building and it's cool looking. And like, I think it's cool looking. Whenever I go into the sanctuary and I look around, I'm like, are you sure this is for us? Like, is this like, maybe, isn't this like a, is this a church that Bono's the pastor of? Or it just feels like this is too cool for us, you know? This is, you know, it feels like. And then, I don't know if you've had a chance to, to go back into the Kids Cove but they have these signs they're putting up there, and Ivan Fortushnik painted these incredible mural signs that are up on the wall, and I, I'm like looking around, and I'm looking for the water slide, because it's like, <laughs> it feels like Splash Lagoon. It's, it's like, this is too cool in here for us. And I want people to, to see the building. I want people to come in, and I want people to, you know, I want people to see it because it seems like it seems impressive to me. And I've heard different people comment on the building. I've heard different people say, "Wow, that's quite a building you guys got going on there." And I was, I, I do physical therapy for my knee, and I was there this past week. And one of the girls said to me, "Do you guys have a gym in there? Because of the size of that thing, I think you guys would have a gym in there." I said, no, we, we wanted one, but we couldn't have a gym. And one of the, the construction workers this week, I believe, um, said something along the lines of, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Susan, but it was something along the lines of, this is, this is the nicest church I've ever been in, or this is the nicest church I've ever built, or something along those lines. And so there's this feeling of, wow, this is a cool, impressive building that, I don't know, it's just, I want people to see it. And I'm like, yeah, that's our church. That's us. That's our church. And I want to do a a little bit of boasting. Not too much because that would be annoying to people. But just a little bit of boasting about, hey, look at this church we got. But this morning, we're going to read a passage that's going to redirect our boasting. I don't know if you're tempted like I am. Maybe I'm the only one tempted like that. But we're going to read a passage that tells us what we really should boast about. And what we really should place our confidence in. So if you could turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18. 
what we're going to see in this passage this morning, what we're going to see as we read through this is that we shouldn't boast in a building. We shouldn't boast in what we've done. We shouldn't boast in what we've accomplished. We shouldn't boast in anything in ourselves. If we're going to boast in anything, we're going to boast in the foolish message of the gospel. And so this, I hope, sets a direction for us as we go into our new building, uh, just sets our eyes on what matters. And the, the title of the message is, We Are the Fools. And we're going to see that as we read this passage. So would you read with me in 1 Corinthians 1, 18. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, the wisdom of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for giving us your word and for telling us what we are to boast in. Lord, we confess, oh God, we are easily proud easily proud of our own accomplishments. We can easily boast in what we think we've done. Lord, this morning, let us see You in all Your bright, shining glory. Open our eyes so that we are humbled before You, so that we are amazed at what You've done, so that we love You more, so that we treasure You more. Lord, please help me speak effectively for Your glory Lord, so that as we go into our new building, Lord, that we're, we're boasting in what matters most. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If we're going to boast, we will boast in the foolish message of the gospel. And these verses, they're appropriate for us today. They're appropriate today because as we move into our new building, they set a direction for us. They set a trajectory for us. They tell us what's most important for us as a church. And they tell us what matters most for the next 20 years. These verses tell us What are we going to build our church on for the next 20, 30, hopefully 40, 50 years? What is going to be the foundation of our church? And what are we going to to hope in? What are we going to boast in? So this passage, it gives us two points. And the first is the foolish gospel. Foolish being in quotation marks. The foolish gospel. And so in verse 18 we read, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And Paul begins by saying that the message of the cross, the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ crucified, risen from the dead, it divides the world into these two distinct groups. There are those who are perishing, who reject God and who reject Jesus Christ. And to them, the message of Jesus and the message of the gospel, it's folly, stupidness. It's a little bit insane. It seems foolish to them. They look at it and it seems like a fool's message, maybe a bit crazy. And the world says, come on, seriously, you're going to stake, are you seriously going to stake all your hopes on a guy who died on a cross? That's what you're telling me. You're going to stake everything. You're going to stake your eternity and everything you have on a guy who died on a cross. Doesn't that seem just a little bit foolish to you? Doesn't it seem a little silly? A little bit out of place? A little bit weak? And apart, the truth is, apart from God intervening in our lives and opening our eyes, if God does not open our eyes to see the truth, the cross and the message of Jesus, it just appears to be stupid. It doesn't make sense. The cross appears to be something that just, you look at it and you say, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. And I I know many of you, before you were saved, you would, I've heard you say that the, the message of the gospel just did not make sense to you. And that's what it is. Apart from God intervening in our lives, the message of Jesus Christ and the gospel, it just doesn't make sense. And it seems foolish because the cross, if you think about it, the cross, doesn't it cut across everything natural in us? The cross and the message of the cross, it goes against everything in us because what the cross says is, you are not enough. The cross says that you cannot save yourself. The cross says that you don't have the power or the wisdom or the moral righteousness to get to God. And that cuts, we don't like to hear that, that cuts against us. And it it says you're a sinner and you need somebody to save you. And we don't like to hear that. Because it doesn't feel good to, to hear that about ourselves. It's sort of like a mirror. The cross is a mirror that shows us what we are really like. This is how bad you are, and this is how much you need a Savior. And that's why the cross seems to be folly and foolishness. But to us who have believed in Jesus, 
The cross isn't folly, is it? To us who have believed in Jesus Christ, the cross, the, the cross which was an instrument of torture and bloody execution suddenly becomes this beautiful thing. Isn't that amazing? The cross, God has opened our eyes that, to see the bloody cross where Jesus was ripped to shreds and it's a thing of glory and beauty and we just, we marvel at the cross. And the cross is the power of God. And God has opened our eyes to see that the message of the cross, the message of Jesus living a sinless life, the message of Jesus dying and rising again, that that's not a fool's message, but that message is the power of God. That message is the wisdom of God. And in that message, there is, in the gospel message, there is this incredible, explosive, life-altering, life-changing, completely life, it changes the direction of your life. There's that kind of power in the message of the gospel. And isn't that what you've seen and experienced and felt the reality of the glory of the message of the cross? And in the message of the gospel, there's real life changing and if you if you don't believe in jesus please hear this in the message of the gospel and in jesus there is life-changing guilt cleansing power power to cleanse your conscience power to change you power to help you overcome those sins that you never could overcome and when we believe in the dying and rising jesus it's like everything changes Everything changes for us. And isn't that your experience? Didn't you experience that? When you believed in Jesus, Jesus came, he busted down the door of your life, comes into your life, and it's like he just totally rearranges everything. Jesus comes in, he crashes in the power of God, comes this foolish message of the gospel. Jesus comes crashing into your life. Everything gets changed. You have a clean conscience. Suddenly you can talk to God, pray to God. You have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. You have joy where you never had it before. Peace where you never had it before. Contentment where you never had it before. And the world sees that as folly. To those who are perishing, it's foolishness. But to us who are being saved, the message of the cross is the power of God and the glory of God and the wisdom of God. It's foolish to the world. It's foolishness, insanity to the world, but it is the power of God. Now, why did God decide to do it this way? Why has he... If you think about it this way, why did God wrap the best news in the world in a package of foolishness? Why did God do that? Why did he wrap it up in this package of foolishness? Well, verse 19 tells us, look down at verse 19. It says, God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. The world is full of very wise, very intelligent, very smart people. There's a guy named Stephen Hawking. I don't know how many of you have heard of him. Stephen Hawking is a scientist slash philosopher. People, some people consider him to be the, one of the smartest men in the world. And I read this recent article where it was an interview with Stephen Hawking. And Stephen Hawking said that heaven is... he. 
use these words. Heaven is a fairy story. Heaven is a fairy story for people who are afraid of death. Those were his words. That's his take on God and Jesus, that heaven is a fairy story. Or some of you have heard of the musician who's hugely popular right now. Her name is Lady Gaga. You've probably heard of her. She's all over the news. I don't recommend her music, but I saw a clip of an interview with her, and here's what she said. She says, I'm teaching, basically, I'm trying to teach people how to worship themselves. That's what she said. And the world is full of smart, influential people. And Stephen Hawking, Lady Gaga, millions of other smart, influential people, they see the message of Jesus as nothing more than a fairy story, as stupid, as something for the weak, as something for people who need a crutch. And the world sees Jesus as foolishness. But God says... God says they think they are wise. They they think they're wise with all their theories and their ideas and philosophies. They think they're wise. I'm going to show them wisdom. Let me show them real wisdom. They think they've got it all together. The world thinks that they have everything figured out. Let me show them wisdom. I'm going to destroy their wisdom. I'm going to thwart all their discernment. And what they see as foolish, what the world sees as foolish, God says, it's really my incredible wisdom, my salvation plan, my plan to fix everything that's wrong and broken. God says, what the world sees as stupid is my power. And I'm going to destroy their wisdom. And it's like God brings down the arrogant and he brings down the proud and he brings down those who think that they don't need God through this foolish message of the gospel. It's like God cuts the legs out from under the proud and the arrogant through the foolishness of Jesus, the message of Jesus Christ. And when we see the gospel, when, when we look at the gospel, we're dazzled by the wisdom of God. The message of the gospel, it, when we look at it, we should just be dazzled that God could come up with a plan like this to save us. And in verse 20 we read, look down at verse 20, it says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And it's like God is saying, okay, let's do something here. Let's stack up all the smartest people in the room. Let's bring all the smartest people together into the room. Let's stack them all up. Bring them all in. It's me, God, against the world. Let's stack them all up. Where is the wise man. The wise man, it was, the wise man was the philosopher, the one who had these philosophies that he thought he could put all the world and organize the world according to his philosophies. And so God says, bring in the wise man. Bring in the guy who has all the philosophies that he thinks has it all together. All the deep questions, he thinks he's got the answers. Bring in the scribe. The scribe was the Jewish person who was an expert in God's law. An expert in all the laws of God and the traditions and all the histories of God that flowed out of the law. And so God says, bring in the wise man, bring in the expert in God's law. And then he says, bring in the debater. And the debater, it was, the debater was the skilled public speaker. He was the guy who would get up on stage and give these stirring speeches and people would 
I said, wow, what a great speaker he is. Probably got standing ovations. People come up after him. Hey, that was a great speech. Can I have your autograph? That was the debater, the, the skilled speaker. Held people on the edge of their seats. And so God says, bring them all in. The wise man, the scribe, the debater, all the most esteemed, smart people, wise people, influential people. Let's put all their wisdom together. Let's put all their intelligence together. Let's put all their influence together. These are the kind of people that other people look up to. This is like Stephen Hawking and Oprah Winfrey and Chris Martin and Steve Jobs and LeBron James and Johnny Depp. Every other smart, influential, beautiful person in the world apart from God. Let's bring them all together and let's stack them up against our God. And let's see what they come up with and let's see what our God comes up with. How does all their wisdom stack up against the wisdom of God? You know what God says? He says it's foolishness. All that they could come up with, the best that the smartest people in the world could come up with is foolishness. It's not wisdom. I come up with wisdom. The best the world comes up with is just foolishness. You bring them all together and they come up with stupid ideas. Foolishness. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Education is wrong. I'm not saying, you know, don't, don't hear that. What I'm saying is compared to God, when the world tries to come up with their ideas for God and for getting to God, it's all foolishness compared to our God. All the things that the world adores, all the things that the world calls wisdom, God says they are folly. And apart from the world, I mean, apart from God, we're stupid. That's the reality. Apart from God, we are stupid people running our mouths with all these ideas we have. And we just go around spouting off all these ideas we have. Apart from God and His wisdom, we are fools. And we think we have it all together, but we don't. And God says, apart from me, it's all folly. And then in verse 21, God says, For since in the wisdom of God... The world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. See, God has set things up so that we cannot know him apart from him revealing himself to us. We cannot know God. We cannot get to God. We cannot have a relationship with God. We cannot figure God out in our own wisdom. And in all the wisdom of the world, if you go into Barnes and Noble and you look at all the books in the world, you look at all the different books in all our wisdom, we cannot know God. And that's how God established things. And if we could get to God, if we could get to God through our own smarts and our own insights and our own figuring things out, we might have reason to boast. If we could figure God out, we might have reason to be proud. But God says, I'm going to save people. I'm going to rescue people through a message that is foolish. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rescue people through a message that to the world seems foolishness. And God rescues us. God saves us through this wonderful, foolish message of Jesus Christ crucified. Not through all the wisdom of the world, not through all their ideas, but through the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ crucified. That's what rescues us. That's what rescued you. 
you heard the message of Jesus and you believed and everything changed. And so this is important for us. This is really important for us to remember as we go into our new building. This matters. As we go into our new building, we have this awesome new building. We have this really cool children's ministry with these really cool paintings that you feel like you're going into SeaWorld or something like that. And it's just a cool, you walk in and like, oh, this is cool. And we've got this cool little checkout area where you feel like you're like, going into like Outback Steakhouse and they're going to give you a little buzzer that whenever you come get your children, they're going to buzz you. It feels cool. It feels nice. We have this trendy looking sanctuary where hip, cool pastors are going to be preaching from the stage. We, we have this new sound system that is going to rock. It's going to be, it's, I'm excited about our new sound system. And we have plans, we have strategies, we have things we want to do. We want to do new programs in the fall. We want to reach out to people. We want to do Christianity Explored and community outreaches. And we want to grow. We want to have this really slick looking literature to give to guests. We're going to do a guest reception. And God is going to build our church. He is going to build it. But, and this is so important to remember, it's not going to be through any programs it's not going to be through a building god is going to build our church through the message of jesus christ crucified that is how he's going to build a church we could do everything right we could have the best looking facility in the world we could have the slickest operation we could have the awesomest rocking worship in and yet without the message of jesus crucified nothing truly could happen no one gets saved that's what that's how god has set things up he will not build the church through us he will build it through jesus the message of jesus and jesus crucified and so we're going to stick to that that's our guns we're going to stick to and so we want to do everything else good. We want to do it with excellence. We want to play worship well. We want to have, you know, a, a wonderful setup for visitors. We want to have great children's ministry. But the core of our church for the next 25 years has to be the message of the gospel. We're not going to move from it. We're always, we're going to hammer it again and again because that's the message of salvation. And that's the message that keeps us growing in Christ. And so this is just a reminder to us. If we have any confidence in ourselves, let's just take it off, throw it down, light a match, and set it on fire. We shouldn't have any confidence in ourselves. We can have a lot of confidence in God. We can have all the confidence in the world in the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Not in us. And we need to remember this. We need to hold fast to this. And we're going to build our church. If we're going to have a foundation, this is going to be our foundation. The message of the gospel. The message of Jesus Christ. What seems like folly to the world is going to be our foundation. Because it's the wisdom and the power and the mighty salvation plan of God. We're going to build our church on the message of Jesus. Because there's a temptation... There's always a temptation to want more, I think, than the gospel. 
I think there's always that temptation. There's a temptation to want things in addition to the gospel. And so Paul says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek, wis- see- Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, the Jews, they demanded miraculous signs from Jesus. They stood over Jesus and they said, Jesus, if we're going to believe in you, you got to give us signs. And it was like they were his judge. They were critically assessing him and they wouldn't believe unless they saw some sort of miraculous sign from Jesus. And the Greeks, they had these systems of philosophy and everything had to fit into their systems of philosophy. And Jesus does not fit into their systems of philosophy. And so it says Jesus is a stumbling block, something they tripped over, something they collided into that they couldn't believe in for the Jews. Because the Jews, if you think about it, the Jews, a lot of them expected a Messiah that was going to come and he was going to come in power and he was going to come in glory and he was going to wipe out the Romans and he was going to set up this kingdom on the earth and the the Israelites or the Jews were going to be free from Roman power. And Jesus comes in weakness, in humility, in servanthood, and then he gets crucified. And if you were a Jew, every Jew knew that if you are crucified, you're under the curse of God. That's what it meant to be crucified. And so, I, can you imagine the Jews thinking, how am I supposed to believe that this man crucified is the Son of God? He's cursed by God. Don't honor this guy who's cursed by God. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. They can't see it because they see Jesus crucified and they see a man cursed by God. And the Greeks, they see Jesus as a convicted criminal. Would would you, personally, would you believe in a convicted criminal as the Messiah? as a savior, as a hero? Would you believe in Ted Bundy or Charles Manson as a hero to be worshipped? That sounds crazy, doesn't it? That sounds insane. And so to the Jews and the Greeks, Jesus and this message of a dying savior is a stumbling block. And he doesn't fit into philosophies and he doesn't fit into their demand for miraculous signs. And it's, it seems like, how can we believe in this? But, But what the world says is foolish. What the world says is stupid. It's really the power and the wisdom of God. And it's like God has taken all the world's ideas of power. And God has taken all the world's ideas of wisdom and all that world's ideas of how things should work. And he just has like dumped them on their head. And he says, let me show you wisdom. Let me show you power. Let me show you how I do things. Because all the ideas, all the philosophies, all the grand schemes, they can't come up with a way to meet our deepest need, which is forgiveness of sins. All these grand, wise people could not come up with a plan to reconcile us to God. And so look down at verse 25. It says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than than men. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
All the things that the world calls wise are folly to God. It's foolishness to God. All the things that the world calls power are weakness to God. And God is stronger than them all, wiser than them all. And so as a church, as a church, we want to be committed to being a foolish church. That's what we want to be committed to. We want to be committed to being a foolish church, a church that centers itself on the foolish gospel, a church that anchors itself. We take our anchor and we bury it in the foolish gospel of Jesus rather than any particular fad or any particular trend. See, it's easy. There's always this temptation, I think, as a church. And for all of us, there's always a temptation to hop on a trend or a bandwagon, and to be, uh, I mean, you can think of all the different ones that are out there to be uh, seeker-sensitive, purpose-driven, emergent, whatever the different things are. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, but there can be a temptation to hop on that and to center your church on that rather than on the message of the gospel. And we never want to drift. We never want to move away from this as our center point. We never want to drift to anything else because we know we've seen it throughout history. We've seen it in different churches where churches are prone to drift away from the gospel. And as soon as a church begins to drift away from the gospel, that's when the life of the church begins to leak out. So we never, by God's grace, and please pray for us as a church, we never want to drift from the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the center. That's what all of us want to build our lives upon. That's what we want to build our church upon, is the message of the gospel. And so we're thinking about strategies. We're thinking about ways to try and grow. We're trying to take wisdom from different churches who are doing different things. But we never want to replace the main thing. We never want to replace the most important thing. Because they're not wrong, but they can't be the fuel of the church. If you think of the church like an engine, the thing that has to drive the church, the fuel for the church has to be the message of Jesus Christ and the gospel. That is what we want to shovel that fuel in over and over again. Because that's what's going to keep us moving. That's what's going to keep us rooted in God. The message of Jesus crucified for sinners and risen from the dead. Now all this, it raises a question. If this message is so foolish, then why did we believe it? Doesn't that seem to be the logical question? If this message is so foolish to the world, why do you believe in it? Is there something special in you? Is there something important about us that would cause us to believe it? That's the second point, the foolish people. Look down in verse 26. Paul says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. And the key word there, it's calling. For consider your calling, brothers. How was it that the Corinthians came to believe in the foolish gospel? How is it that I have come to believe in the foolish gospel? It's because God called me and let me see it and open my ears to hear it. That's the only difference is that God called me. And I have no idea why he called me. 
other than his sovereign purpose that I can't figure out. But God called me and he called you and he let you hear it and he opened your eyes to the thing that was once stupid suddenly became beautiful. And aren't you grateful that God did that? Where would you be without that? Where would you be apart from the calling of God in your life? We weren't looking for God. We couldn't go into Barnes and Noble and pick up a guide to God for dummies and like flip our way through it and find, oh, this is how you get to God. No, God called us by name and he let us hear and opened our eyes. And it was like, for some of you, I've heard you say it was like a light went on. And it was just like, oh, well, that makes sense. That's God's doing. And that should just fill us with gratefulness. What once looked stupid and absurd suddenly appeared beautiful. And he did this for us because, why did he do this? Because he loves you. Don't doubt the love of God for you. He called you because he loves you. And he said, I want to be in a relationship with you. And he said, I love you so much. He called you to the gospel and he gave you eyes to see. But, but God doesn't call the people you would think he might call. God doesn't operate according to the world's standards. Have you ever, I've done this, have you ever looked at a celebrity and thought, a celebrity and thought, man, that guy would make a great Christian. Sure wish that guy would say, get saved because he would make a fantastic Christian. I wish John Mayer would get saved because, man, he could write some great songs for Jesus. Or think about if Leonardo DiCaprio got saved, then him and Kirk Cameron could star in a movie together. Talk about a killer movie. Or if like, if Richard Mendenhall, the running back for the Steelers, came in and he got saved, then maybe he could give a big check to the church and we could get that gym that we've all been hoping for. <laughs> like, we think, oh, if only, God, why, save some celebrities, please. But that's not how God does things. That's just not how he works. And it says, Paul says, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards or powerful or of noble birth. And the church that Paul is writing to was primarily full of people who were not important to the world. The downtrodden, the weak, the regular, the ordinary, the unimportant. And God tends to gravitate toward the weak and gravitate toward the downtrodden and gravitate toward the small. And it doesn't say that there weren't any. It says that there weren't many. And so it's this church that's primarily composed of those who are not special people, ordinary, some weak, some poor. And D.A. Carson, I love this, he described this church as a low-class operation with a few sophisticated exceptions. And I'd say that pretty much describes us as a church too, right? A low-class operation with a very few sophisticated exceptions. There's nothing very special or exciting about us. Uh, we are what you might call a low-class operation. So there's a few exceptions. Some of you have your doctorate. Some of you uh, have a lot of money, but not too many of us here in this church. I mean, seriously, I, I was homeschooled. I got a business degree at IUP. I don't speak any foreign languages. I love bacon and sausage. That, like, Those are the highlights of my life. I was in Christian service brigade, which is kind of like the Christian version of Boy Scouts, and I was so bad I got like two of the badges and then I was done. I couldn't get any more. Uh, 
I'm, I'm pretty much low class. My dad, he was an art major. And I don't, no further comment. Uh, Joe, Joe was a sociology major who, after college, his job uh, after college involved carrying around a giant cigarette to help kids understand the dangers of smoking cigarettes. Uh, there's nothing impressive about us. If you hang around this church for more than about five minutes, you're going to realize there's nothing very impressive about us. And this is important to remember because you know what? Our growth as a church, why is it? It's a result of God's work. There's nothing impressive about us. Our growth as a church, our need for a new building, our new building, it's not the result of us. We're not particularly special. We don't have all these great plans. It is God's work. All the glory goes to God. No glory to me. No glory to anyone except to God. Now, don't get me wrong, you guys, some of you have poured hours and hours into this new building. I'm not taking away from that one bit, but our ultimate growth and spiritual success and all that we've done and all that we've accomplished is a result of God and His doing. And so, you know, we don't have, we don't have it together. We don't have 10-year plans for our church. We don't have pie charts. We don't have strategic growth plans. We don't have Excel sheets showing like where we're going to be now and where we're going to be in three years. Now, don't get me wrong. We're not totally out of control. Like we have, we have Andrew Walwork, fortunately. He keeps us from making crazy financial decisions. But I don't even, I don't think Joe would know how to make a spreadsheet. We, And so the point is, all glory goes to God. We will not leave this building. We will not go into our new building and say, wow, look at what we've accomplished. We will say, God, look at what you have accomplished. Look at what you have done. When, when you see new people coming in and getting plugged in, we don't say, wow, we must be some kind of special church that people really like. We say, God, look at what you've done. Look at what you've accomplished as we go into this new building. Let's pray like crazy that God will keep growing us. Because the second we start relying on ourselves, it all goes to pieces. So let's pray like crazy that God would help us. And that God would use us. And I think this is also a reminder to us as a church. I think that God would want to ask us, who do we gravitate toward as a church? When we come together on a Sunday, who do we reach out to? Do we reach out to those who are like us? Do we reach out to those who are cool? Do we reach out to those who we feel comfortable with? Or do we gravitate towards those that God gravitates toward? Do we gravitate toward those that we wouldn't naturally go toward? God reaches out to the weak and the lowly. And he reached out to us when we were dead in our sins. And so let's be a church that does that. As we go into our new church, let's be the most welcoming church so that anyone could come into our church and just feel like we welcome them and embrace them. No matter what they're like, no matter what they look like, no matter their level of uh, wealth, whatever. We want just people to come in and say, these people love me. Because God reached out to us when we were lowly and when we were weak and dirty with sin. So with God's help, let's reach out to others. And then look down in verses 29 to 31. 
It says, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And the reason that God chooses the weak and the lowly, the reason that God chooses us when we're dead in our sins, the reason that God chooses us when we can't choose him is so that nobody can boast. God is saying, there's not going to be any boasting. No boasting allowed in yourselves because I choose the weak and the lowly. Some of you, if you just think back to where you were when God called you, some of you were enslaved to drugs, enslaved to alcohol. Some of you were enslaved to greed. Some of you, like me, you grew up in the church. You were still dead in your sins. I was still dead in my sins. I was like a spiritual crack baby, dead in my sins. I needed God to make me alive. And so we can't boast. What do we have to boast about? Nothing. We have nothing to boast about. God did it all. He chose us. He called us. He saved us. He changes us. He keeps changing us. He brought us together. And now he's bringing us into this new building. And so we're going to boast not in ourselves, but we're going to boast in God. We're going to boast in what God has done. There's one kind of boasting that's allowed. Only one kind. Look down at verse 31. One kind of boasting allowed. Let the one who boasts, boast in what? The Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So when you go to the open house this Wednesday night and you're looking around, can you take time to say, God, praise you for what you've done. On our first Sunday, let's boast in God and say, God, praise you for what you've done. How amazing is this? How incredible is this what you've done, Lord? That's the kind of boasting we're allowed to do. And that's what I want us to do. When we go out of here, let's say, God, I boast in you. How incredible you are. It's all you're doing, Lord. You're the one causing the growth. So here's what our motto needs to be. As we go out of here, our motto is this, boast in the Lord. Right? That's our motto. Boast in the Lord. Boast only in the Lord. So let's pray together. Let's ask God to help us do this. If I could have Greg and the van come up. Lord, thank you for all that you have done for us as a church. We are grateful to you, Lord. Lord, we praise you, we exalt you for all that you have done. It's all you're doing, Lord. We will not boast in ourselves. We will boast in you. So, Lord, we pray that for the next 20 years that our church would be rooted in the gospel And that we would go out of here boasting in Christ. And we are grateful, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.